Hey, welcome to another Mostly Skateboarding sticker commercial. I'm your host, Patrick Higongo, and I'm here to let you know that there's only one way to get the new Mostly Skateboarding stickers. That's by making a donation to the Kevin Wilkins Fund on GoFundMe. So far, we've raised over $350 to help Kevin in his fight against prostate cancer. Kevin recruited Templeton to write for the skateboard mag after seeing what he was doing with the original Mostly Skateboarding blog. That was dude's second big break in skateboarding. Real talk, Kevin gave a lot of people their first break in skateboarding. So please, donate at least $10 to the Kevin Wilkins Fund. Forward your receipt to mostlyskateboarding at gmail.com. We'll include the email in the show notes, along with your physical mailing address, and we... We'll send you some stickers. You can find the link to donate in this week's show notes. And now, on to the show. Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kigongo, and this week I'm joined by Mike Munzenreiter and Jason from Frozen and Carbonite to talk Eurotech and the Chrome Ball Incidents interview with Caesar Singh. The Chrome Ball Incident has been filling in the potholes in our skate memories for the better part of the last decade. In addition to high-quality scans of interviews, ads, and catalogs, CBI's fearless leader, Chops, has secured interviews with skaters who we haven't heard from in decades. This week, CBI kicked off Black History Month with a dark, no pun intended, and reflective interview (laughs) with former Planet Earth pro Caesar Singh. Mike, this was an admittedly very heavy read. What were some of your first impressions? Yeah, I'm agreeing with you with that, yeah. Um, I'd seen some previews of it here and there maybe on Instagram from Muckmouth, where they quoted a colorful, uh, quote, direct writing, I think, from Caesar. If I remember right, it was an email interview. And I was like, oh, wow, this looks interesting. And then I think when I got in there, it exceeded my expectations just for the depth, the honesty, the weird balance of a dude who had, like, seriously given up skating but was still, like, deeply interested in it and keeping up. There's not a lot of skateboard interviews out there like this one. That's the short long of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, listen. Um, well, first of all, like, Cromwell Incident is like a national treasure or international treasure or whatever. Like, no, if no. you want to look up pretty much any old ad, it's there. Um, I'm, I'm almost afraid that if something happens to the Black Spot servers or whatever, I know it's somebody Google, then like the whole shit will be gone. So I hope you have it backed up or whatever on. Uh, one of those like real to real like things or whatever. Fuck, I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> this was really, this was really, I really gnarly. I kind of really didn't expect it because like back then, like in 401, he was kind of like, hey, this is Caesar Singh and you're watching 401. Like he seemed like a kind of, uh, you know, happy go lucky uh, type of guy. But uh, yeah, the intro was almost like a, like a parody of Bukowski or some shit. Like it was almost too Bukowski esque. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was like totally over the top, like Bukowski esque, <laughs> like to be, to be a parody. You know what I mean? No, I feel you. And, and it's almost like there's so many years in the past and, and there, there's people that are way out of the industry uh, realm. Uh, they really don't give a single fuck. They will say anything about the industry. And that's like what this guy was. So maybe like the Robin McKinley interview is kind of like that, which is why I should go peep it. But yeah, yeah, it was really wild. Like he really uh, shed a light on like the... Um, the opacity of the industry back then which is even more opaque than it is now like we didn't know shit it was just like oh here's caesar saying he lives in long beach or whatever he's just like super tech good at skating blah 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 but yeah yeah it was kind of like uh pulled the 
curtain back on some of the shit back then. I think this is probably one of the darkest things I've ever read in skating. And I've read a ton of those Chrome Ball incident interviews. Some of the angry ones like Ryan Hickey, for example. Some of the sadder ones. Some of the ones with a bit of a redemptive arc. Like, uh, say, Clyde Singleton. But never anything like this grim or depressing. I think there was a a bunch of stuff that kind of came to mind. Um, First off, it definitely seems like he is on pretty self-destructive bent like there's a you get a very strong sort of leaving las vegas sort of vibe when you finish reading this you feel like this is a guy who's just almost kind of given up i mean he went from being a pretty pretty awesome pro skater with a very good style that still translates well manolo's tapes did a great mixtape of his skating a couple years back and it was you know it occasionally makes it on to people like dang what happened to this dude and, you know, at some point he kind of just, it seemed like he just gave up. Like he just stopped trying. He stopped trying in skating, stopped really trying in life. And, I'm, you know, I think it's probably worthwhile to kind of dig in and rap with you guys because we're, you know, we're proper adults now. And we definitely all know people like this. I think what's particularly dark about it is that, there are so there's so much trauma that's kind of informing his cynicism that you just kind of feel like this guy needs a hug, you know. I mean that that it no sounds <laughs> it it's and that even seems insufficient. And I think um, there's a couple things right, and there's a couple things I'm thinking about, especially it being Black History Month and such. I think there's a a big part of what's going on in his mind, you know, thirty thousand foot view. I am not a licensed uh, psychiatrist. There's, there's a lot of internalized racism that I'm not sure what his background is. You know, black dude with a South Asian name. He, he might be mm-hmm. Trinidadian, Guyanese. He said he was born in Long Island, grew up in Florida. And then to go from there, you know, dad was never around. His mom kind of lived an itinerant life. They, you know, spent a bunch of his childhood in Florida. And then they moved to Salinas, which is about an hour. It's in Monterey County in California. It's about an hour south of San Jose. You figure there's, at the time, not too many black, South Asian, however you choose to identify as a dark-skinned brother of color, probably not too many folks who live, looked like him, and that, you know, he was on Santa Cruz, and there's the intro to the, his part in Days of Our Lives, and he's chilling with this board, and it's got a huge swastika on it, and a little Klansman, and kill all N-words all over it, and it's it's... You're just like, why? There was like, there was nobody to check him on that. There was nobody to be like, yo, my man, nah, 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 nah. What the fuck is you doing? Hmm. Um, it definitely feels like, you know, I think about this a lot. Like, I, it feels like he didn't have anybody to be black with, not as a child, not as a as an adolescent, or or, you know, even like well into adulthood. And I don't know, like, do you guys get like the kind of sense that he was always a little bit like this interview kind of reveals that maybe he was always a little bit isolated. Yeah, I mean, with, like, a lot of great, well, t- skate teams, there's some type of mentor figure, whether whether it's, like, a Mike T or, like, Kareem with the World Camp. And with his career trajectory, it was just, like, Santa Cruz. I, I guess Jeff Kendall was doing stuff or was, you know, the street TM. It was, who knows? And Planet Earth. Yeah, Planet Earth was, like, pretty white. It was, like... Maybe the whitest team next to Prime. Back 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Clyde had a <laughs> guest in uh, Mark Ridge's part. But know? even at so, least yeah, Prime, like, you knew who was, was in the, the same distribution, camp. who was in the van with them for those big dwindle camp. tours. So, yeah, he, he, he didn't have, like, a Mike T or, like, a mentor in the industry, it seemed, to kind of show him the ropes. You know what I mean? Like, this is how you pay taxes, blah, blah, blah. This is how you be in the van and stuff. So, yeah, that's that's one thing that, you know, Mike could have made his whole trajectory way different. Well, now, I'll ju- I'll jump in and just say like, I know him from Planet Earth Silver, an extremely white video, white white mm-hmm. person video with a yeah, bunch of tribe called Quest. Go on, you know all that. I I had no idea that there was kind of that like, edgier is a super whack word to use for it. That kind of like, like. Help me out here. I'm trying to think of the word for that. You know, just the the swastikas on the board and just like that madness. It, Go ahead. I think it's a it's a combination. Like now we we kind of have the vocabulary for it. You'd probably call somebody like him. Um, the polite word would be edge word. Excuse me. The polite word would probably be edge lord. Right. Basically, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. like a four chan, eight con, eight chan kind of dude who's just like I'm just into offending everybody, bro. I don't really care. <laughs> he's definitely like ripe for proud boy initiation. One of these guys who's initiate, you know, who's internalized white supremacy to the point where they figure like, well, I'm not black, you know, and these guys are cool with me, right? Like, this is not a racist organization, right? Um, like, there's, there's, there's definitely that, and I think that ties to some stuff that he talks about from his childhood that he was bullied uh, by Chuck Wampler. Yes, Chuck Wampler, pool skater, vert skater, who got shot at Lockwood for trying to prevent a, a jacking, right? And then eventually went on to become an officer with LAPD and was implicated in the killing of Ezel Ford down in Florence, which is down in uh, formerly known as South Central, now more politely known as South LA. Like Chuck Wampler is a pretty like heavy dude. And what was interesting was that Caesar, you know, talks about Chuck leaving a little Klansman origami on his desk. God. Like Chuck Wampler left a Klansman origami. Mind you, Chuck Wampler is is not regular, regular white dude. He's at least mixed Asian, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. So this is here's another man who has heavily internalized white supremacy to see a dark-skinned brother as, you know, the lowest person on the totem pole, and I'm gonna continue. I'm gonna punch down on him, and then fast forward however many years. Like I didn't know this was a thing. Like apparently, there were guys who would drop n bombs. Like if they bailed a trick or if they were skating. Like what? Yeah. Right. Wait, that's like the um. If you refer back to the Javante interview, Cornball interview, he, I think he tells a story about. Oyola doing the same thing at EMB. At EMB, yeah, yeah, and getting chased out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, not, not to be I mean glib, that, so. but there's some more edge lord shit right there. Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and you guys bring up this awesome point that he didn't have a mentor, and I've I've talked about this in a couple of my previous you know regular regular day jobs about the idea of mentorship, but especially um, you know like. Black folks at work who will show you the ropes, who will 
work with you on professional development. We'll reach out to you be like, hey, we go out to lunch together to this place or we do this happy hour or we do, you know, such and such and such African-American civic club, whatever. You know, that is actually a very powerful thing, whether it's an informal thing or it's like a formalized, like there's an organization that you join within the workplace or outside of the workplace to just be black, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, the thing about Black History Month is that Blackness is whatever you want it to be. If you want to be chilling and into Dragon Ball Z and listening to Depeche Mode, that's black. If you want to be Gorilla Hood, you, that's black. You know, if you want to be like Tiger Woods, <laughs> that's black. Anything you want to be. And it feels like, in addition to wanting to give this man a hug, imagine if he was on a team like Chocolate. Well, I just, yeah, I mean, even just any any support, any mentor, anybody older just to be like all right chill out maybe maybe just like steer this way a little bit and it it makes me think of that early to mid 90s section of skateboarding where there was just like those were the dudes and they were all super young and anybody that was any old like anybody older had already quit skating they were out you know so like they were the old guys and it it speaks to him being in his mid-20s and getting kicked off or let go or you know whatever it was with planet earth and being like, well, fuck it, I'm done. Gonna go work at the steakhouse, you know? And then the, the more just stories that are just jaw-dropping and, I don't know, the, yeah. Yeah, heavy heavy interview all the way through. It, it defies easy words on a podcast. So, Jason, once again, I turn to you because you are the divine scholar of all things mid-90s. What the hell was happening in skating that a dude this talented got lost? Like Mike said, like there was this kind of expectation, like if you were 25, like you were like old as shit, like, you know, you know what I mean? It's kind of like the, the thing Mike, Mike Carroll always talked about, you know, like how was the old and was the new, like 25 was old as shit. And there's always some young kid who could like flip his board more times than you or whatever. And like he said in the interview, they were making like hardly anything, even by 90 standards, like Ninety standards, like a new average pro salary was like five hundred a month, and like he breaks it down, like yeah, I, I was making more money at at the steakhouse, like Mike said. So yeah, just like no, like minimal pay, like lack of mentorship. Maybe he knew that he would never be like a costin or whatever, you know. Maybe he needed a life coach or something, um, which you know was it wasn't even a. I think that wasn't a thing at the time. No, nah, not really. I mean, there were motivational speakers and such, but yeah. it was still very, very yeah, niche. It was, just, yeah, it was just like Tony Robbins, right? And that, like, you know, fuck that shit. But um, <laughs> yeah, but everyone, everyone knows dudes like that. Even like local heroes that were super good, like supernatural skaters that just quit because they were fucking over it. Yo, so that whole idea jumped out to me because I have known those dudes in my theory. Oh yeah. Everywhere. has always been and he says it in the inter- interview like it was easy like i never had to try for tricks i would just throw shit out there and frontside half cab no slide that chinatown rail without knowing which way i was going to come out and i i do think and like god i mean all we're kind of doing is psychoanalyzing in this in this segment <laughs> yeah, we have a lot but, to like, work with <laughs> yeah we 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 got um the man wrote it himself email interview but I've known those dudes who it was just too easy. And so it wasn't interesting and they do lose interest in it. And I mean, 
one of the striking things, and he says it multiple times in there, kind of like stripping away from all the the sad stuff, is that like he skated for a decade. And I mean, that's kind of just unbelievable where it can be, you know, your life and then tone it down. Here we are, you know, middle-aged men doing a skateboard podcast. Mm -hmm. Probably (laughs) unbelievable for the rest of us. But like, it was too easy for him, I think. And then, you know, couple it with a lot of other factors and and you get the story. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I kind of want to dig into some of those other things because like we've touched on the racism and we've touched on definitely like the family issues. You know, he says it himself that, you know, Pops was never around and, you know, his mother remains itinerant, kind of just going from place to place. So there was, wasn't probably wasn't too much stability in his life. And there's plenty of people who, you know, grow up with, with similar backgrounds and, you know, don't live nearly as tragic a life as he did. But it just seems like, did he have any friends? Did he have anybody who was like looking out for him? You know, I mean, God bless the dead. I always think about Keenan Milton for some reason. I, everything I've ever read about Keenan, he just seemed like... Like, like the kind of dude who would take a guy like this and be like, come on, man, we're going to chill, you know? I'm a, I'm a, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we're going go to we're yeah. gonna go to the Beverly Center, we're going to go to the mall, and we're going to hang out, and we're just going to be cool. Although, you know, there was certainly uh, some horror stories, real horror stories of addiction over in the Krell Tap camp. And, you know, maybe, maybe if he had been over there, maybe if he had been on, you know, with Dwindle under the world umbrella, if he'd been in New York, like, I was... You know, I was rapping with a couple of people about this. I was thinking, like, this dude went to New York. He would clean up, you know? But then he would probably also just, like, end up being, like, what if he ends up one of those dudes just parties at Max Fish and spends a a decade skateboarding uh, and then a decade in the bar? Yeah, isn't that, like, the the big cliche or narrative about New York? It's, like, it's where washed-up pros go to to Max Fish. Yeah. Or, like, become an artist or, you know? Yeah, like, he would have, he would have, like... He like he had the spark and he had something and there were all of these all those things that could go wrong and you know like there's definitely you know something that you know the formal skate press has become much better about talking about is um, is substance abuse and addiction and you know he openly talks about being an alcoholic and you know in his interview with Transworld from was it '96 I think you know longer form interview he talks about yeah he's into gambling you know he was like yeah you know I like to gamble I like the thrill of it. And, you know, you fast forward 20-something years later, and here's a guy who's living off strip in Vegas, like, eking out a living. Every cent that he earns is going to is going to play in poker. And it seemed like even back then he had kind of resigned. Like, he didn't have too many aspirations for what he wanted out of life. You know, was kind of resigned to just let things sort of happen. And Mike, kind of like you were saying, like, no mentorship, no nothing. Did he just kind of shrug his shoulders and give up at some point and then, like, life just happened to him? I mean, that's what the interview says. Not to be, you know. I, don't know. I think, yeah. yeah again, it's weird because. Credible, like, honest, here it all is, you know. Again, that's why we're talking about it. Yeah, it's weird because most of the time when, when people quit skating, they get into some, something else like cars or motorcycles or art, scar, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That something to take the place of that itch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And maybe that was gambling for him, that like uh, adrenaline rush or whatever. I guess so. What, what's really weird is like also like there's this like this. I think the surprising thing is like the self-destructive, you know, streak in there. Like he, he drops a pin for Chuck Wampler. He's like, what's up, Chuck? You know, black lives still matter. Right. You still got that. You know, you still got that that energy for me. Here, here Here's where I'm at. Here's the, they publish his address. I looked. Yeah. I looked that's, it up. That's, that's <laughs> 
It's a real address. Oh, that, oh, oh that's how you knew it. It's off strip. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's a real <laughs> it's a real address. He's like, come through, come like you know, come check me, homie. And I don't know, maybe it's just kind of paranoia. Maybe it's like me living in L.A. Like I'm even <laughs> I'm even hesitant. Like he doesn't patrol my neighborhood, but just like Chuck Wampler sounds like a scary dude. Right. Yeah, that that whole saga is that's an example of how truth is stranger than fiction, because like you couldn't make this shit up like some guy who's like a gnarly like transition skater, I guess, ends up at that ends up at Lockwood. Who knows why he was a Lockwood in the first place? Ends up at 20 in 20 shot, then he becomes a cop and that whole alleged thing happens. That that's um that's a wild story, man. Mhm. Yeah, like becomes a cop and then it is a cop who is implicated in the killing of an unarmed uh mentally disabled black man, you know, the late Ezel Ford. You know, I I looked at the clip, I immediately started reading about that, you know, once it's like, yeah, it, Implicated. I think you know the. It was found that the the cops, he and another officer were you know within their, within their legal rights within that shooting mm-hmm. as maybe a grand jury or a or a prosecutor found. So, you know, implicate not not to like flex. Implicate is not even the right word. I mean, the guy shot. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm overcorrecting and being too polite. Maybe it, it's that fear that sure. one day that you know be Chuck Wampler in my uh, rearview headlights. <laughs> No, they they shot that dude. Them two shot that dude. And here's a guy who, on one hand, you know, was a racist bully to a classmate of his, was a racist bully when they were both sponsored skaters. And, okay, like, we, you know, in some ways, like, we have no idea what Chuck Wampler is doing with his life now, what he thinks, what his politics are, whether or not he's kind of reconciled himself with, like, whatever has happened in his past. Maybe he doesn't even, like, maybe this doesn't even factor. Like, this like this does not even cross. He, he hasn't thought about Caesar Singh in 25 years, right? But, like, then the thing is, like, on the other side of that is a guy with this, you know, you got one man dead, right? Because of this dude's, you know, deeply, 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 deeply internalized white supremacy and the fact that all of a sudden now he's got, he's been a cop and he's got a badge and he's got a gun, you know? And then on the other side of that, too, is, you know, you've got this basically a broken man living in Vegas, you know, who, like, whether he wants to admit it or not, is still really hurt by this. Yeah, I mean, along those lines, the fact that he remembers that incident with such clarity probably shows that it was pretty traumatic or well, pretty traumatic for him. And that it's still it like, you know what I mean? It still affects him in some way. Oh, yeah. I think racism is hell of a drug, baby. One thing we shouldn't overlook is just that like Caesar Singh wrote an interview because it was an email interview. Like it's deeply funny and off putting and like makes you uncomfortable. But it is funny. And it's I mean, it's more edgelord stuff. It's 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 incredible in a lot like so many ways. One other point that I thought of with Chuck Wampler and like knowing that he at least shot and killed one person it made me think of my newspaper reporting days i did community weeklies right okay you don't expect it to really like barge into the deep seriousness but there was um well multiple police killings that i covered in these suburbs in the twin cities and there was a particular cop who was involved in a police brutality lawsuit against the city that he worked for he was implicated in it there was a shooting at a trailer park 
excuse me, I need to use harder words because police involved shooting is nothing that I ever back when. Facts. Uh, Big facts. I think that's bullshit. Uh, So the cops killed a guy who came out of a trailer with a gun in a suburb, covered that story. And then there was a mental health call in an apartment building where a guy, you know, was holed up in a closet and he ended up stab he had a he had a butcher knife stabbed a police dog when the cops sent the dog at him the cops then shot him to death and so i'm citing three instances police brutality during a traffic stop two police killings by shootings and a single cop was involved in all three of those and it just it, it got my mind going with wampler where it's like okay wholly implicated facts are he shot a guy to death and, uh, you know, yeah, there was a lawsuit over it, obviously. Yeah. It's... Probably well-founded. But, you know, you you then hear about this guy's insane racist and, like, just just violence, violence towards other people in the past. And you, and, and you wonder, you know, what doesn't make the, the, the newspaper clips in L.A.? Oh, yeah. It, yeah. And this is, you know, mind you, he's LAPD, which has been under an incredible amount of scrutiny for decades, right? Going back to the 1960s. This is not even the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, who are currently subject to a a state justice department investigation that just opened up about sheriff's gangs. Like, basically, they operate. Oh, that shit's insane. They basically operate like a regular gang. You get jumped in, you got to kill somebody, or you got to, you know, you got to maim somebody to to become part of it. And... You know, like, you know, there are, you know, city of L.A. has its own police department. Some cities have their own, uh, you know, like Santa Monica has theirs, Compton. But then there's a lot of independent cities. And then there are also unincorporated parcels of county land and cities which contract services from the sheriff's department. Right. And the sheriff's department has only recently really come under some form of public scrutiny for institutionalized and normalized racism. And um Real quick, I'm just jumping real quick. Here's the thing: like, it might not be on the news every night, and people might not be posting like black squares on their Instagrams anymore. But like, BLM protests are still going on. They're still going on all over the country, and cops are still like blatantly abusing their power. So that shit is still going on. It might not be like at the forefront of everyone's mind or whatever in the news, but it's still fucking going on. Oh yeah, <laughs> I could die in traffic this weekend. You know, I, you know, I I get in my car every day, you know, and at least when I leave the house, you know, with with that thought just cooling in the back of my mind. And actually to circle back about Wampler again. um, So y'all remember the menace epically latered. Right. And they're talking about how it used to be. How could I? How could I? (laughs) So that used to be La Mirada Locos turf. Right. And a couple of the cats in, in it was Fabian Alomar's uncle ran with that crew was no g because at the time up until probably about like a decade ago before like city of la really started going heavy on gang injunctions and gang enforcement that used to be turf and like it was turf that was viciously battled over and there's a reason why for a section of the mid 90s mid to late 90s you only saw certain people lockwood because it was people who were part of like the menace crew menace crew or the chocolate crew because basically anybody who rolled with fabian had a pass and Wampler was there with somebody and then like they didn't hit up Fabian, they didn't hit up Joey or any of the cats who were on Menace and be like, yo, come skate with us. They just went by themselves. They had a camera. Someone, you know, came through, wanted to jack a camera bag. Chuck Wampler stepped in, 
you know, got shot in the, yeah, I think he got shot in the leg, right? And he, like, he talks about it pretty candidly in that Transworld interview from some years back. But, you know, on one hand, yeah. he, he portrays this idea that he, you know, he likes to think about, um, he likes to think about his decision to become an officer as being this big, grand, altruistic gesture. But then in the same interview, he talks about how he thinks about gang members being scum and um, people who are just sucking off of welfare. So he's got this, you know, it's like the mm. other, it's the other side of the cynicism that Caesar's got. And I don't know, I think something to, that's two things I think that's worth, there's a couple of things that, no, excuse me, there are three things I think that are worth talking about. So first of all, this is a recurring thing. There's a lot of folks who piled out, crashed out, or straight up quit the industry and have kind of ended up in these places that maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't want for themselves and maybe can't get themselves out, whether it's substance abuse, some kind of issues with poverty, addiction, you know, or serious mental health issues, right? Like this is a recurring thing. Like this is not a one-off, right? Number two, what does the, what is the, industry's role and responsibility in this right because if you're if you've got decades of like up until recently mostly men like you got decades of just these broken men coming out of the same industry like clearly there's some there's something you know there's something happening there and i think you know i read a beatrice demand interview as sort of a palate cleanser almost immediately after this uh with uh jasmine was it uh jasmine wright i believe Jasmine Hughes. Jasmine Hughes. Excuse me, I'm thinking of someone else. Uh, Jasmine Wright is a skater. Uh, Jasmine Hughes, who wrote the, is also a skater. <laughs> yes, Jasmine Hughes, skater, author, wrote the best article about buying vans. Got to got to stand for Jasmine. So H. so good, and I noticed something. I noticed something about that. Uh, there's that clip of Tyshawn and Andy Shad just hanging out, and I was thinking like it's much easier to be a black skater in 2021. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. and so I guess like you can be black, you can be joyous and black, you can be comfortable with your blackness. There's lots of different types of blackness. And even when it's uncomfortable, like when Nakel did that, that IG live last summer that got everybody talking about racism in, in the van and in the industry, at least these guys have each other. These young, these kids, you know, they're basically, they're taking over the industry and you wish that Caesar had some folks like that. But like back to the other two questions, like, there's a lot of folks in the industry like this and does the industry have a responsibility or should it take responsibility? What do y'all think? Yeah. I mean, skate companies don't have HR departments, right? Not on the skater level at least. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, like when you're a pro skater, you're technically an independent contractor, right? Yep. So that's point one. Point two is like, it's, like escape company, companies or at least hardware companies are oper- operating on such a thin margin that for them to like uh, start that kind of programs not really be feasible. You know what I mean? But on the other hand, who would be sick of someone would just create like a um, look, like some type of network or something to help pros transition into civilian life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if it was just like, even if it was just like an Instagram or a Facebook page or something like that. Like, um, I don't know. Like, there's got to be enough like pro bono counselors out there, or people who would offer their services at a reasonable rate for that to happen. Like, it doesn't sound that crazy. 
You know what I mean? No, it doesn't. Because, like, I, I don't know. Social media has also given us a window into just how some of these cats are living or not living. And it's like sometimes it's depressing, you know. I don't think it, yeah. I don't think it's our place to, to name names and air out people's business. But um, <laughs> especially for skaters of color, for there are some black skaters that I grew up with pictures of them on my wall. Caesar was on my wall, man. There's a lot of cats who are struggling, you know, with like in some cases with some very deep, deep, deep mental health uh, and addiction issues. And it's playing out publicly. And it's just it's so sad because, like I said, like we're in this place now where we're middle aged men doing a podcast about skateboarding. And there are folks who should be there. These are the folks who were heroes to us. Not everybody was able to get out ahead like Kareem and transition out and have a nice life and be interviewed by the Dallas Observer or whatever. It, it's like it, it, it like it's heartbreaking. And you know, I bring the you know I bring the the racial angle into it because there is if you're like a young black or brown person who's been a professional skateboarder. Maybe you dropped out of school. Maybe you, you you got a GED. There's significantly fewer doors that are open for you to just go, right. even just like pick up a job. Like there, there are fewer and fewer and fewer jobs for folks without um, some kind of formal qualifications, trade school, whatever. And it's not like you know, a lot of folks are coming into skating with a lot of family money or connections that hook them up. But especially for black and brown cats, right? So... I don't know, Mike. I mean, like, like a, a transition network, something like for for, you know, something to help skaters out. I really think it comes down to like a spin on what Clyde Singleton's been calling for, which is the skaters' union. But I mean, it can't be a union, but it needs to be. I've been just googling for it right now. Like tennis, mm-hmm. pro tennis has an association. You know. A form of collectivity that, again, isn't necessarily a union because everybody's working for themselves and working for different companies, but just something that could, you know, pay your dues, get health insurance. You know, that that's going to that's going to help out a lot of people, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that 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 could go a long way in applying pressure to companies just to provide a little bit more pay. To cover that health uh, health insurance, you know, it I, it all snowballs from there, and I and I think that, you know, if there was a little bit less kind of mercenary thought and a little bit more just, you know, we are all doing the same thing and we're in competition, but we're not necessarily in competition. And here's a way we can share ideas. I think it's um, I don't know if it's antithetical to skating anymore. Like it, it might have been in the '90s when things just seemed like everybody was always on a, on a different page and you could have these clicks and everything. But I, I, I really think that, you know, some, some leading pro skater and 10 other ones should band together and just start something where it's like pay some dues, get support, you know, network. I, I, I don't know. It, it is antithetical to skateboarding, maybe even now when I think about it, but I mean, what? There's the Screen Actors Guild. Yeah, that's not a traditional union, but it works and it and it sets a sets a baseline and it makes rules for an industry. And skaters should look at that. And maybe there's not, you know, as as much burnout and 
not so many people leaving it and not having any idea what to do and no resources to turn to to figure out what to do. Yeah. I mean, he also, you know, left skateboarding at a very different time in American culture um, mm-hmm. and even economically. He could, yeah, you could go and just say like, he was living in Long Beach. It was significantly cheaper then. Yeah, just like I'll just go become like a short order cook and post up and I'll still be able to pay rent and gamble and smoke and drink and kick it and not really care too much. I mean, on one hand, you want skateboarding to re- retain some of that rebelliousness. On the other hand, skating is significantly bigger than it was in the 1990s. Like you, if you want oh. to be pro, like you can't just like you can't be like in a Caesar tip where you like they turned him. You know, I guess what Santa Cruz turned him pro and then okay, cool. It would be like nah, Caesar, you got to put in work. But it doesn't just happen now. Yeah, <laughs> you know they don't just they don't just turn you pro. But like there's also like it it, it ties into you know there's like a kind of a like a growing conversation in skating about mental health and it definitely seems like he could have used like i think everybody should do therapy if your insurance will take it if you are willing to pay out of pocket i highly recommend it you know some people prefer talk therapy i prefer was it cognitive behavioral therapy or emdr um and it definitely seems like he had a lot of just personal issues problems and personal issues that you know from his childhood that he definitely would need to deal with. But then it's like, here's a guy who's like barely making a living. How are you going to go tell him? He's like, yo, my man, you need like 12 steps and some serious therapy like twice a week. Yeah, it's tough. Plus there is like a pretty big stigma about mental health back then in general, not just in skating. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's way different now. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and even now it's just like in skating, it's getting better, but it's still nowhere near where it needs to be. I mean... You see it in in professional sports. I think also like for them, like they have money, and there's been a couple of high profile folks who like uh, Kevin Love, right, who really yeah. talked about it and been advocates for for it. But you know, what, <laughs> what's the minimum? Uh, wait, or even like uh, your boy uh, Kyrie, like took a week off or whatever. Yeah, mental health week. <laughs> health week, mental health fortnight, whatever. He came back, started averaging thirty a game. You know, which. So. <laughs> You know, I mean, people wondering, like, why, why why would this person do this? Why would you live? Just like, I don't know, playing professional basketball in the middle of a pandemic and not seeing your family. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot of stress to internalize. Meta World Peace at his, uh, at his podium after that Lakers championship, you know, mm-hmm. straight up called out his therapist. Value in it. Was just going to say, I, I do wonder, you know, Caesar Singh said he was 48 years old and... You know what? What if he was forty-four? What What would have those four? You know, been born four years later? Like, could have could have been a different trajectory. It's a random thought, but there's like, you know, what Mike Carroll's got to be about forty-four. Yeah, a lot, he's of, like, a lot of the like dudes Joey. are just a little younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like with a lot of those dudes around ninety-two, ninety-three, like they peaked at the wrong time when there was the money was the lowest. Yep. Yep. Coverage was. The, the lowest trans world was the thinnest, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he was sick, dude. He was definitely advanced with some some of the shit he was doing, like and some four on one, like switch section. He did like a switch kickflip, backside nose grind. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, on, on like a, on like a tiny ledge, but still, you know, I, that was the first time I ever saw someone do that. Yeah, the Powell Skate Zone. Yeah, and um, there's a four one one issue twelve with the Rhythm Planet Earth tour up to. I love that section. British Columbia. They're skating the fret blanket. It's so good. Like, those two teams were good. But, again, um, 
Genesis has definitely we we've talked about Genesis quite a bit on the pod. Like Genesis has, has taken a life of its own, if only for the uh, the serious techno soundtrack. Like the Planet Earth video was a silver. Like again, it was like the Curse of '96. You're coming out against the Holy Trinity of great skateboard videos of that year. Like you just weren't gonna mm-hmm. win. Yeah, it was it was sick though. Like I had it back in the day, and that, and like uh, well, that's the video of like back tail shove. It's like yeah, like I, like I dare you to watch that video and do a shot every time someone does a back tail shove. I like having a liver. Yeah, exactly. Silver, yeah, exactly. Silver also came in like a hard plastic Disney case, didn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Did Ty Evans request that? Probably. Chris Miller or Ty Evans? I want to know. I want to know. Yeah, hit us up. 1-800-223-9797. That was when you could actually make money selling videos. Like, it was a it was a money maker, so maybe it's worth it. Fuck it. Yeah. But, but, but Caesar should have had last part instead of Chris Lambert. No disrespect to Chris, Chris Lambert, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And like that, what if question of like if he had just been four years younger? I mean, it feels like you're right. Like he was he was turned pro, right? And it just kind of happened right. for him. And nowadays, it's significantly more difficult to turn pro. You really have to justify. You really gotta. You're putting out footage, or you're you're doing lifestyle. And I think that's another thing too. Um, that. Um, you don't have to feel so isolated, and you know, you know, this circles back to a point that both of y'all made that you know people need to feel like there's somebody who's advocating for them because there could have been someone, someone, or some bodies who would have bought a Caesar out of his shell and really like nurtured him and worked with him and be like, dog, like you only been to Europe once, come on, man, we're going to Barcelona, you know, we spend the whole summer there, and you like, you think about all the spots he could have destroyed, you think about like his style was so good like he would have fit in so well on so many other teams if he had just hung on but you know if nobody's telling you just like hey we're like i'm picking you up and we're going to these spots and we're filming and we're not leaving till you get these such and such and such like he talks about tricks that he just missed you know like someone took a photo and like the switchback 50 at thomas star king in silver lake he missed that that, that wasn't a make same thing with the kickflip back tail at um, Jaquan, also not a make. That was a that was a uh, not centerfold, but like a center spread. Yeah, if I remember, which is yeah, that part was mind blowing. Like you said, he didn't make like half of the tricks in that pro spotlight. That's crazy. And they still looked fly. Like yeah, yeah. But there was <laughs> I mean, yeah, they looked sick. There was nobody who there was nobody who you know there was nobody who was like kind of like guiding him i mean as tough as mike t was on everybody who was on 8th street and plan b i mean a lot of those folks you know all in retrospect say like they're really good for it and then you 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 think about now like there are team managers and team owners who uh take a much like they're they're high touch right like they're really involved with their their riders and they work really closely with them and they advocate for them and they ask questions and they really try to you know, they've learned from their mistakes. Like, they're not naturally like this, right? And, like, that's good to see now in 2021. But, like, you have to wonder what this, what skating would have been like if you had people who were just a little bit more sensitive. And, like, because it was cool to be a dick in the 90s. And I think that really that really destroyed a lot of people. Nodding my head in agreement. <laughs> Which, in the grand scheme of things, if you really think about it, he said, look, I did 10 years. I gave you a decade of my life enjoy it you know yeah exactly i mean you watch watch video parts it's still sick so get some sick ideas or whatever i would have loved to have seen him in barcelona 
like stick it out jeez like three and a half more years four more years mm-hmm. get him on alien or something even though that would be an, an even more awkward fit <laughs> seek i could have seen seek yeah yeah actually yeah but yeah definitely caesar in barcelona and speaking of beautiful catalonia barcelona our very own jason published an awesome interview with roman lasivka which just ran on quarter snacks this past week dude is originally from slovakia but now he's living in barcelona thanks to the european union's freedom of movement jason thank you so much for doing this really insightful and awesome interview like What's the big takeaway that you had in talking to Roman? And when are we going to Barcelona to do a live taping? Anywhere. Prague. Fucking. But yeah, thanks, man. It was my pleasure. And main thing that kind of stood out to me was that how the Soviet bloc, the Eastern bloc, Soviet Empire, whatever, and their affinity for grandiose monuments and plazas and all that shit contributed to Eurotech on a macro scale on a micro scale and skating on on a macro scale because like he talked about how I, I kind of just asked him like oh was, you know was there some type of plaza like a marble plaza with like a Soviet statue and he was like yeah there's like one in every town you know some are bigger than others some are smaller than others but you know there's one in my town skated all the time fuck and like Stalin real like real long story short Stalin or that hill Patrick, you might know some shit about this, so feel free to jump in anytime. Yeah, yeah, go on. They, they made like a giant, like almost like Mount Rushmore stat, like huge, huge statue of like or like carving into a side of Mount of Stalin, maybe some other Soviet dudes. And at some point in the '60s, like when they I may probably broke off from. I think I have my my uh, history wrong here sometime, but anyway, when they broke off from soviet control or whatever they just fucking blew it up oh is that um if we're thinking like if we're thinking stalin stalin plaza in prague say that three times fast so that was probably during the prague spring um in 1968 when it was still czechoslovakia um yeah that sounds about right yeah and they were trying to do like hungary did in 1956 which was um basically localize their their socialism and basically pull out from soviet control and become um an independent nation that happens to subscribe to soviet communism but without the soviet army occupying it but that was crushed um but yeah 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 like it's yeah i think um there's like there like before instagram there were a lot of tumblers of folks just who would travel all over the the eastern bloc of southern and eastern europe just taking photos of these places many of which have kind of just fallen into disrepair oh yeah yeah i love that shit there's a twitter called soviet visuals mm-hmm. mm. i think it's like at soviet visuals has a lot of that shit like all those gnarly statues like that one with some lady holding a sword and it's like 400 feet tall yeah you know, all that gnarly shit like old there's, Soviet ads and shit. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that shit. There's a level. There's a level in the new Call of Duty game, which is like that. It's like this old Soviet like plaza with like office buildings and all those crazy statues and shit. It's awesome. Yeah, and one thing that um that architecture was also super popular in also in Western Europe. You know, in the you know in the NATO countries, mostly because concrete was significantly cheaper after World War II, and because of the baby boom, there was just a need to either rebuild cities or to build brand new cities for people to 
to house people, right? Not just um, folks who are having kids, but also to house immigrants from the former colonies in places like France and the UK. And like that's why like you go to some of these new towns, like you go to new towns in England or in France, like what they're called, like in air quotes, a new town, someplace that was built in the 60s, maybe f- finished in the 70s, all concrete everything. Like that's where the best footage comes from because you know, for a few decades, people just thought it was an eyesore, but the skaters were just like, yo, this is like South Bank is built in that style. Like, um, oh, is that, br- is that brutalism? That's brutalism, yeah. Yeah, br- yeah that's yeah. it. That's all I know about architecture, like brutalism. It's brutalism is tight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, yeah, br- brutalism, yeah, yeah, that's 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 the stuff, yeah. But like, there's that one building in Connecticut, if you're going 95 north or south, I guess, you, you know, you probably see it from both sides, but. That's like just really like boxy, like concrete building with like a big hole in the middle or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think I think that's realist. That's the extent of my architecture knowledge. <laughs> Except that and like I know what flying buttresses are. I remember that from like high school. <laughs> so, so like I guess like you know, dude was obviously killing it in Slovakia, but now he's he's moved on to Barcelona, like. So clearly Barcelona still has the juice if only because the weather is really, really tight. Like, and it seems like he's just kind of like getting settled and chilling out. And there's a lot of even like uh, Louis Pa, Louis Passan, who was on uh, Lords and a couple other French companies. He's the man. Like there's a lot of cats. Like people are still going to Barcelona. Like it it, it may not be like Kalis hype like it was 15 years ago, but people are still doing it. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, Tyler Surrey, of course. Uh totally underrated ripper who's i guess an expatriate over there like steven lawyer good friend steven lawyer yeah i mean like paris was hot for a while like a couple years ago and there's copenhagen of course and like finland i think tiago moved to oslo or something what norway I think so. Yeah, like, I've been seeing a bunch of footage of him. In... There's been a lot of footage. Yeah. Yeah, and Oslo, Oslo's kind of a hot spot now. But yeah, Barcelona has weather and just that vibe. And yeah, it's still you know the epicenter of uh, Eurotech. I think. I don't know, Mike. Do you see? Do you see this lasting? Is is Barcelona become gonna be like the evergreen spot? Where it's like if you're going to Europe to skate, you go to Barcelona. You don't go to Milan, you go to Barcelona. I mean, I prefer Barcelona over Milan for sure, just for the sake of visuals. I don't know. That's a great-looking city just for skateboarding and for watching skateboard videos. I do feel like the um, kind of center of gravity of Eurotech previously in Western Europe has like crept into the former uh, Warsaw Pack Eastern Bloc zone of the continent like those dudes with i'm gonna be a stupid american and say like ever increasingly like difficult names to pronounce like those are the dudes carrying the torch where it's like front side half cab nose slide nolly heel to regular or you know switch varial flip variations trying to think of any other emblematic tricks but like i definitely feel like a lot of the yeah it's central to eastern europe that's that's producing the torch bearers for eurotech anymore yeah, the guys are just like leaving a light on for like uh the children like they, these are lucas puig's children 
I want to know if Lucas Puig is true Eurotech for it, or if he's more of like boho tech. <laughs> now, yeah, now he's probably some type of like I don't know, like international man of leisure tech yeah. or something. Spy tech. But Shark yeah, tech. like if you if you look at the Stalin Plaza Instagram, there are all these kids who are doing like crazy tech shit, like three sixty flip crooked grinds on the ledges and shit. You know, just like tech for the sake of tech, which is awesome. So yeah, and that was like so unfashionable here in the U.S. for so long that all of a sudden, like now that's back in vogue, and you've had these now they're not even kids; these are proper adults who've been holding down that style and perfecting it right for like the last decade. And now it's just like everyone's like, "Oh, I gotta go! I gotta go to Eastern Europe! I gotta go to!" I gotta go to Prague. I gotta go see, skate Stalin Plaza. Or go up to Berlin, and skate. Uh, was it like there's a, a like a bunch of spots over by the old with the now old, soon to be decommissioned airport in Berlin. Yeah. Like so, they've been holding it. They've been holding this style and keeping it alive. And now it's like it's cool again. And because of Instagram, there's a whole lane for it, which like I love it. Is there any other yeah. type of skating that's been that's been kept alive in a foreign country in the same way? Maybe not the foreign country, but it makes me think of the Philly revival, like Philly Love Park 1999 revival, like Kevin Bilio and all those cats where, I mean, I was literally wearing those same outfits <laughs> when I was, like in my uh, senior wait, year of high school. Like the, uh, wait, did you have like the, the cargo pants with like the, Tied around the uh, the calf. Hell yeah. With the drawstring. Hell yeah. Dude, you, you used to be able to buy those at the Gap. And yeah, they were like nylon, heavy nylon, not swishy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, they, they, they were capris. <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me, my voice cracked saying capris. <laughs> it, was, it was that deep of a fucking thing. They were capris. And yeah, you just cinched them, tied them off. You, you, you put them up under... In, the back of your knee, back of the knee, under the kneecap, cinch them off, let them go baggy. They go down to like mid shin, put on your calluses, and go skate. Yeah. Hell yeah. And now, yeah, that, was, uh, that was a look. And now these kids were dressing exactly like that. Maybe like they're not, you know, they're obviously not buying dead stock, uh, dead stock DCs, but DCs making shoes like that again. And kids are rocking them. Like oh yeah, well actually no, the ultimate test. Were you guys into like the one T-shirt or two? Oh, two T-shirt, of course. Single T-shirt. I never understood two T-shirts, but I'm a warm body. <laughs> two T-shirts. I only I only stopped wearing two T-shirts like four years ago. <laughs> it's a, it's a yo. It was like it was a practical thing because you'd like one tall T, like a white T, to catch the sweat, and then you have your good T above it. Yeah, like your yellow uh, four star. Oh hell yeah! I had a I had a couple of blue ones. Ooh, I had a had an orange with like just the outline of the four stars across the chest. Nice. Four star was dope, even though like the quality early on was trash for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like wasn't it like they didn't Costin and Mariano say like they started the company because they said we were buying so much polo and Nautica, we figured why not start our own thing, and then yeah. I, I think it, <laughs> it got too big. <laughs> When I, I I think four star cash considerations when it shut down companies moving around I think that was, uh, it's a lot more complicated than that but I think that's that's the reason for their exit from girl 
basically. That's a damn shame. Because, like, Four Star should be profiting from that 90s tech revival right now. Oh, my God. Yeah, but uh, I still think that, like, the thrift thing is pretty big. Like, the whole drawers reboot. Like, what the hell happened to that? Like, you know what I mean? I've seen it in shops. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it on Instagram. Uh, A a, a youth basketball coach was wearing it. Yeah, he was looking (laughs) drippy, you know? Oh, yes. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, Jason happens to coach youth basketball. And his courtside picks, oh, my God. Straight up. Straight up GQ. Fashion game is crazy. Surprised that other coaches even want to, like, step foot. Exactly. <laughs> like, They're already out of class. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting where uh, he says on a brand, but metronome, how that does. Because mm. there, there's always been Euro, Euro brands like uh, A-list skateboards or whatever, like Jart. Mm-hmm. But it seems like, like a different type of vibe. For a Euro brand. Yeah, like I think uh, I think Magenta has kind of done a good like Magenta, Elas, um Yeah, Elas like They've done like a good job of like doing stuff like we do small runs, our stuff looks good and it's within like um you know, and it's something like it's something for us. Like we're not taking ourselves too seriously, but at the same time it's not jokey, like it looks fly. And that show is like people people definitely rock that shit and you know it it kills me that we are still you know stuck at home because like there's so many dope outfits that like if if summer comes oh my god I'm I'm going to show out yeah yeah that that's where I get my outfits for coaching from it's the only place I go <laughs> I go to the gym I go to the sometimes I like throw a fit together to go to like Wigman's but that's the only place I go. So fuck it. Might as well, you know, get a fit off. Yeah. But but you're right. Like, I think that there's a much, um, there's a place now for European clothing company or board company to make a little bit more or a lot more of a dent. I mean, like, look at, dude, check out Yard Sale. I've been watching a bunch of their videos in the evenings. Those guys are great. I really, like, I'm really down with what they're doing. And also, like, here's the other thing, too, that um, a lot of the Eurotech cats, the Euro ledge tech cats, like Roman have been keeping alive, like Tupac deep cuts, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tupac, Tupac featuring Snoop Dogg, and the two like a couple of Tupac tracks. Yeah, Death deep cuts and like that primitive part. So yeah, yeah. If uh, if anyone wants to skate Tupac, he has like a, as deep a discography as anyone. Yeah, uh, yeah. Of yeah, like when that's for sure. I mean, not again to, to bring up Lucas Puig, but he made some comment like there's a like I like that gangster shit, like in that uh, Crail Couch interview. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I love it. Is it like Eastern Europe? Like you get magically transported back to like 1997? Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't know if that's an Eastern European thing or like just a thing about hip hop culture. Like they just are into that period because like. Not like I don't know anything about you know gangster West Coast type MCs, but like I know like everyone like Method Man, Wu Tang Clan, Snoop Dogg, EPMD. They like make a killing out there in like Poland. Hell yeah, you know what I mean. They're doing festivals. Like EPMD, yeah, EPMD play a big, big ass festival in like (laughs) Poland. 
like you know what I mean? They're yeah, they make a killing out there, bro. Hell yeah. Like who was it? Um I'm trying to think like there's somebody who went to did a, a tour of like um all the the form all the all the nations in um, what used to be Yugoslavia and they said that it's like dog we went to Slovenia and it was wild. It's like I've never seen a crowd that big and I've got platinum oh, discs yeah. <laughs> back in the US. Never played to a crowd that big. Who knew every word? Yeah, it's a whole thing. I don't know. But is it gonna here's the thing though, is it gonna last? Every trend has What's its that? end. Yeah, Eurotech, um man, I think like it's so integral to like MACBA and that whole scene. Like as long as MACBA's around and Sounds around, but I mean, like, there's other plazas in, like, you know, Paris, like Sweden. As long as there's ledges, like granite ledges, I don't, you know, what I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's like as long as if there's pools to skate, people are, you know, the pool dogs are gonna skate them. You know what I mean? That's a good so, point. Like if there's, like if there's granite ledges, the ledge dogs are gonna skate, you know, flip in, flip out on them. So yeah, I mean, go on forever, man. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> Definitely with something to be stoked on. Which brings us to the part of our show where we reflect on what we're stoked on. Mike, what are you stoked on this week? This week I'm stoked on some salsa de arbol that I made with actual dried chilies. Yes, I'm stoked on making salsa at my house. You can't find salsa de arbol like as a store-bought thing. You can get it if you go to some taquerias, but... Um, I made it at home, and it made a big difference, and I've had, like, nachos and the salsa that I made a couple times this week, and uh, I'm thinking about making some more salsa because this coming week, especially on Sunday when this show is actually out, it's going to be, like, a high of zero degrees Fahrenheit up here in Minneapolis for about a week, so I'm going to need to stay warm and spicy and happy with some homemade salsa trying to think if there's anything else i'm stoked on it it, that's about it are you gonna make some for the uh, quote-unquote big game big game's kind of off my uh off my radar but that's a good idea yeah i might i'll I'll probably make like a little spread or whatever some wings and like chips and salsa and whatnot wings sound good wings Wings sound amazing baked or fried gotta be fried I think baked. That's I'm, fry them. Uh, the only way I know how to make them is baked. It's a mess to clean up fried food. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, you guys, you have to have like a big like grease vat to put pour the grease in or whatever. It's a whole deal. You use an old salsa jar. Yeah, you I'm, I'm kind of outmoding yeah. the salsa jar though because I'm making salt. My own. Yeah, salt like a pickle jar, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Shit. Super Bowl. Big game. Are we allowed to say Super Bowl on here? NFL coming after us. <laughs> NFL legal team coming at the most skateboarding podcast. I'm, I'm sure they got bigger problems. <laughs> luckily, luckily, it's only like Ty Evans and all the people we like listening to this podcast. NFL don't. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's some secret, you know, some players who like to like to wind down. Damn, if you're an NFL rostered player and you listen to the mostly skateboarding podcast email templeton yeah actually no yeah we'd rather hear from nba players yeah yeah sorry bigly 
Dennis Schroeder, if you're listening. Yeah, hit us up, dude. We want to talk to you about backside kickflip. Yeah, yeah. Jason. Oh, Dennis Schroeder, he's playing for the Lakers right now. That's what I'm watching. Jason, what are you stoked on? Stoked on Venture Trucks out of San Francisco, California. By the way, uh, Venture Team Rider and Crooked Rider and native uh, Richmond VA local boy just dropped a really sick part for Huff today, which is really dope. Has lots of Richmond lifestyle footage, which is just kind of like walking down by the river, looking at trains, going over bridge, you know, it definitely has that, that vibe. So, yeah, that part is pretty dope. Pretty dope whom, is, whom is that? Caleb McNeely. Ooh, there we go. Beat that tonight. Also stoked, as we mentioned before, coaching basketball. Yeah, like my son plays in a league, and they asked me to coach because the other guy, you know, was out or whatever. The old coach, and I was just like, "Well, I watched basketball for like 32 years or whatever, so I must have picked something up along the way." And yeah, I found it's really fun. Like it's kind of like a mental challenge. Like, all right, what are these guys doing? Like, how? What moves can I make? to beat them like should I go zone or man like you know what play should we run blah 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 so yeah it's pretty fun and interesting two and two so far so not bad not bad first time coaching yeah yeah well no I coached my actually I coached my my son's team like five years ago when they were in like elementary school so not really first time but okay yeah plus you get to you get to be a lot more complicated now that you're four years on or whatever. Yeah, 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 exactly. Plus, like, you know, it's fun to do something that's just, like, kind of to help people. It's not to make money or self-promotion or hustling or whatever. You know what I mean? That's uh, tight about it. So Opposite of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, opposite. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, no, my clamp, no one's sending me a box. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they should, though. The drip is incredible. Yeah, yeah, thanks, bro. I'll, I'll, I'll take a box from whatever. Gucci, hit this man up. Arrow post style, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Also, also, along basketball lines, the uh, Wizards-Nets game on Sunday, January 31st, was insane. The finish was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. The Wizards were down by five with eight seconds to go, and they hit two threes in like three seconds and one. It, that was nuts. So, stoked on that as well. Um that that ends the sports section of the Moses Skateboarding Podcast. Patrick, where are you stoked on this week? No, the sports section is not over yet. The Knicks are oh. the Knicks are in a respectable ninth place in the Eastern Conference. So, knocking on the door, baby steps, door. baby steps, baby steps. Uh, I'm stoked on Spitfire Wheels. I'm about to set up a new deck, fresh for Black History Month. Any Shodware real joint, uh, the one with the the bootleg Tesla logo. I'm so pumped. Although. <laughs> Maybe I should scratch that because I don't want them getting getting sued. But uh, it's on site for Elon Musk anyway. Oh, oh shit! It is. It's that's apartheid blood money, baby. <laughs> yeah, I said it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm stoked on Roman's new part, Antonio Durao's uh, Long Island part on Quarter Snacks. I love that dude. He's so awesome. I have no idea what the story with numbers is or where he's going to land, but he was definitely skating a hard body board in that part. And uh, Galdem, which is uh, a magazine out of the UK, has an article on Skater Uktis. I uh, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Y'all can chastise me in the, you know, 
by text, whatever. Um, it's a Muslim girl skate crew based out of London, and it's super super cool. It was mentioned in a mes- uh, it was mentioned in a newsletter that I subscribed to. Well, word. Um, that's it for our show this week. Be sure to check MostlySkateboarding.net for links to things that we talked about today and other show notes. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Jason, where can the people find you? On the Twitter at Carbonite1994, on the Instagram at Frozen and Carbonite, and writing stuff for Quartersnacks.com. Mike, where can the people find you on the interwebs? I'm on Twitter and Instagram, same handle, at M Munzenrider. Patrick, where art thou? Okay, so you can find me on Instagram and on Clubhouse, at Pikagongo. And of course, lurking as always on Twitter, at Colonel K Speaks. That's it for our show. Stay tuned, be safe, be healthy. We're not terribly interested in the Super Bowl this year, but... uh, Good luck to everybody who's not Tom Brady. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Hey Storm, you know that ain't ready for us. And uh, I started out dumb, sprung off a of hood rat, listened to the radio, wishing that I could rap. But nothing changed, I was stuck in the game, cause everybody in the industry was fucking me, man. Listen, I got a scheme, break away, do my own thing, drop the conversation, sit back and let the phone ring. Niggas ain't wanna see me rise, 97, while I got these motherfuckers down the side. And if I catch another case, Lord knows how they hate me. Got a player in the courtroom, please don't let them frame me. I've been dealt a lot of bad cards, living as a thug. Got my blessing, though I'm stressing in this land with no love. Baby, if they see me rolling, look at all this green I'm holding. I get this water envious and get their eyes swollen. Open the heavenly father, love a hustler. Meet the hardest nigga on the earth to ever busting up. My homies tell me ever hard, fuck their feelings. I've been trying to make a million since we started. We cold hearted. Niggas in mass that don't blast at the task force. Empty out my clips, I'm the mash, they ask for it. Me, Machiavelli, and my motherfucker. We break bread, now we thug brothers. <laughs> Niggas talk a lot of non-shit, I choose to ignore it. A war, they ain't ready for it. <laughs> Now what you gonna do when my niggas come for you? Now what you gonna do when my niggas come for you? Tell me now what you gonna do when my niggas come for you. Watch me clown, give me loving when I'm high I'm an outlaw, baby, I'll be thuggin' till I die In my drop-top double R Life is a rap star, hustle like a crack fiend Till they catch me, go ask somebody to your show Watchin' niggas out the sight from my nice scope Cookin' white dope, got my nigga 25 to life Stretched out, tryna have all the better things in life While Machiavelli, a born leader to millimeter Changin' niggas' future like a schizophrenic palm reader Heed from out the Bible I read See the meek shall inherit the earth And the strong will lead Hittin' weed like it's alright I'm in the studio, making music all night <laughs> My enemies cry whenever I rise They hate it to the death, try to beat me out my last breath What you gonna do? Now what you gonna do? When my niggas come for you Tell me now what you gonna do? When my niggas come for you Come on Tell me now what you gonna do? When my niggas come for you Come on Who's to blame for my mind frame? Poverty is money game. Got me feeding for riches, wanting to kill for a taste of fame. Recurring dreams of endless ends from page magazines.
living life like a thug queen But instead I'm having nightmares They call them outlaw premonitions of premeditated missions Living conditions suspicious so they got me on the hit list Wishing that I would slip like a wet bitch But it's the time and nigga and I've been waiting for years I put my grind in nigga, I see you scoping cause I got what you wanna flaunt My every calculated move is a nail to your coffin Now what you don't know is I got 16 point holler Thugged out female ball shot collar Now what you gonna do is you bust the ass crew When my niggas come for you When we come for you, now what you gonna do? When my niggas come for you, now nigga, now, now what you gonna do? When my niggas come for you, throw your hands up. Now what you gonna do? When my niggas come for you, what you running for? Now what you gonna do? When my niggas come for you, when my niggas come Now what you gonna do? When my niggas come for you, when we come for you, now what you gonna do? When my niggas come for you. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha